You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, church. Uh, It is great to be here today. Um, As you guys saw from the photo, uh, my name is Greg, and my hope is just, or my home is at Hope, just down the highway, uh, at Hope Oakville, where I serve on staff, and uh, we've been there for uh, almost seven years now. And uh, you saw in the photo, my wife, uh, Elaine, and I, we have four kids, and uh, we picked up a dog this season, so our kids... Uh, have a new sibling that they love hanging out with. And uh, my heart is full as a dad and as a husband in our family, and it's also full today because I love getting the chance to be able to encourage the church and being able to be used by God as a servant to open up his word and to pray and to say, Lord, what would you have for us today? What would you have for your church? What would you have in my life? And so I'm excited to be able to do that today. You can go ahead and get your Bibles uh, ready and uh, as you hear a passage today. You're welcome to turn there as well. Um, What we're going to be doing today is continuing our series that uh, we've been in uh, called Grounded. And we've been uh, thinking and uh, learning and encouraging one another what it means to be grounded in our faith as we reach a broken world, what it means to live in a grounded way. And so we're going to continue that today as we look into God's Word in the book of Acts, chapter 26. There's your cue. You can turn there. If you're at home, I'd love to encourage you as well. Grab a Bible, take it out. You can even push pause and take that out. Track with us t- t- together today. Our whole passage is Acts 26, but we're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read chunks of it as we see how we can be grounded in our witness to our world today through our passage. So what does it mean to be grounded in our witness as we share our testimony to the world that needs hope maybe more than ever, uh, to a world that is so unrealized uh, that Jesus is the answer? That all of our insecurities, that all of our life's questions, all our anxieties, all our fears, all truth is found in Jesus Christ. And so as we consider today from Acts 26, from Paul's example, how does thinking about our lives in that way and what God has done in us ground us in the fact that we are ready then to go and compelled to share with the world that we have the hope that they need to know? And that hope is Jesus Christ. And so we're going to do that today um, from Acts chapter 26. One of the things that I'm hoping that we're going to see today is the way that we become grounded in our witness to this world is by remembering our past life. That is, who we were. Considering who we are today in light of knowing Jesus Christ. And then how that leads us or compels us to say, let me tell you about that Jesus I need you to know about that Jesus as well. So if you haven't turned to Acts chapter 26, I'd love for you to get there. We're going to read that in just a moment. Uh, I want to share with you the word witness, as we're going to be talking about today. The word witness occurs over 400 times in the Bible. And the English word witness comes from uh, what we realize in its origin to be the same word as the word martyr. So when we think about what a martyr stands for or perhaps even what happens to martyrs, 
it can be helpful for us to remember that a martyr is really a witness. They are witnessing about something. They are testifying about something in their lives. In fact, so much so that they are so grounded that they are willing to die for it. And if we take the Greek and the Hebrew definitions and uses of this word witness in the Bible, we come up with two things. One, a witness is someone who sees something amazing or important. And number two, a witness is someone who then begins to tell or share of what they have seen that is so important. So a couple of examples. In a court of law, a good witness is often someone who is firsthand seen and can personally share of the events or the details that they have, they've taken in. Another example, in an accident, a good witness might be someone who saw the actual event take place. It's not hearsay, it's not secondhand knowledge, but was actually there. A witness can be a noun. We can use witness as a person. We can use witness as a verb or an action. I am going to go and witness to someone or to someone. In the Christian faith, as we look in the Bible, as we're going to see today, we have, as followers of Jesus, an imperative command that if you follow Jesus, you must witness to the world. Maybe that's something to reflect on today, even as you're thinking about that. Am I witnessing? When's the last time I've been witnessing to my friends or my coworkers or my family members? or that prodigal child that I wish would return home. Because Jesus tells followers of him that they must go and be his witnesses to the world, to testify that they have seen or been changed by this amazing hope for the world, and therefore others need to know who this Jesus is as well. And so today in Acts chapter 26, we're going to see Paul's example of how he is grounded in his witness to say, I, I want to tell you about Jesus. In fact, I want you to know this Jesus as well. And Paul's going to be a perfect example for us as we look through three points today. I want to show you on the screen. Point number one is going to be this. To be grounded in my witness, it, it involves saying, let me tell you who I was. Being grounded in my witness, let me tell you who I am. Notice the change. And therefore, in light of those two things, point number three is going to be grounded in my witness. Let me tell you about this amazing Jesus that I have found. So we're going to look at those three points together today. Acts chapter 26, a bit of the background story in this chapter. For two years, the Jews have been waiting for this verdict about the Apostle Paul. Uh, there's great and great hostility rising and growing towards the Apostle Paul. He keeps talking about this Jesus. He keeps going here and saying this or doing this or starting churches. And so people are hating him. And they, they decide that they're going to come up with a plan, a proposal, because in Acts chapter 26, what's happening is there's a new governor, a new Roman governor on the scene. His name is Festus. And the Jews think, if we go to Festus and we say, can you move the Apostle Paul, and transfer him to Jerusalem, they think, then once they begin to move him in this prisoner transport, we're just going to ambush him, and we can kill him ourselves. No more waiting. No more waiting for a verdict. And Festus hears the plan in Acts 26, and he says to them, here's actually what's going to happen. 
I am going to go to Caesarea where they're keeping Paul. And I would like to hear him out. I want to hear him make a defense for some of the claims that have been made against him, all these false accusations. Let's let him justify himself. And so you can see in our screen today maybe an image of what was going to take place as these religious leaders sit down with Paul in front of them. You can see he's locked under chains in prison. He's under Roman guard. And they essentially say to him, Paul, make a defense for yourself. Give us a witness of what these people are saying against you. And then Paul begins to share with them who he was, who he is, and who this Jesus is. Paul stands today as a prisoner in Acts chapter 26. He doesn't know what tomorrow will bring. He knows the years that he's been locked up so far in prison. And he decides in that moment to be grounded and to powerfully and strategically and intentionally be a witness for Jesus Christ. To make the most of his circumstance and to show us what it's going to be like to be a grounded witness in your lives. To take your past and your present and to package it all together and say, this is who that Jesus is and why you need to know him. So let's take a look at how that happens. Point number one, grounded in my witness, if you remember. Let me tell you who I was. And we're going to see that in verses 4 through 11. Paul is given a chance by this King Agrippa, somebody who knows a lot about the Jewish faith. Festus gets to town. He hears out Paul, decides, I, don't, I think he's innocent. I don't really have any problems with what he's saying. But King Agrippa is someone who we know from historical account was very well acquainted with the Jewish tradition. And so he gives Paul a chance to speak for himself. I want to read verses 4 through 8 with us to begin today. Acts 26, verse 4. Paul says, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Look at verse 8. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Paul is confessing to the king that Although he is on trial, although the Jews are the ones that have an issue with him, Paul is saying, I am a Jew. You can see in those verses, he says, this is our religion that I am representing. Paul continues in those verses and says, okay, not, not only am I a Jew, but I am from the strictest sect of Judaism. I was a Pharisee, and as a Pharisee, I am well acquainted with everything Jewish, I mean, he would be the one teaching all the classes. I know their laws, I know their customs, I know their practices, I know their holidays, and I even know that they are long in waiting for a coming Messiah. And yet Paul says in these verses, yet somehow, despite all these credentials, I found myself on trial as if I've done something wrong, as if I've been proclaiming something that someone hadn't known about before. And so to prove himself more so in verses 9 through 11, you can see a famous account of what Paul says he used to be like. 
He says, how pious and seriously committed I was to the Jewish faith. Well, I was one who locked up and voted against and persecuted and punished and coerced and raged and, 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 and killed any Jew that talked about Jesus Christ. So why in this moment is Paul sharing about his past in this way? It's because Paul knew the life he used to live. And that past life is a contributing factor to who and why and how he lives today, as he's going to show us in these next verses. Paul accepted that God had called him out of this certain type of lifestyle to be used as a witness for Christ. Paul's past had shaped what was about to happen to him in his life when he meets Christ. Paul was so grounded that he knew that being a witness for Christ meant taking my past and sharing about who I used to be and how it's nothing like who I am today. Now, there might be some of you that are listening today or watching online today, and, and, and you too, like Paul, maybe your past is filled with legalism or decisions or experiences, maybe things that have been done to you, and you think, how could God use me as a witness? How could I ever get to the place where I feel grounded enough in my own story to be able to share it with other people? Maybe you even feel like because of all of the answers to those, those things or events in your life, you feel disqualified, unable to ever get to this point. I want you to see in our passage today, you in particular, I want you to see how Paul is going to confess about his past life, and he's going to share about how his past story is now being used for God's glory. I want you to see how Paul is saying, look, I know, I know who I was. I know how I lived, but that's nothing who I am today. That person that you once knew is nothing like the person that you could know today because I am being changed more and more. In fact, I know more than ever how and why Jesus came down to save people like me. Paul says in another letter that he writes in 1 Timothy, I'll show you on the screen, he writes this. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You know what Paul's saying in that verse? That's the type of people Jesus came to save. People who wondered, how could I ever feel grounded? How could I ever be used in my life? Those are the people Jesus came to save and to top it all off, Paul says, and I feel like I was the chief foremost of all sinners. So if you're struggling today, thinking, how is this message going to apply in my life? How is Paul's example going to apply to me? If you're struggling to wonder how you might feel grounded to witness to a broken world in the day and age that we're living in, I want you to be encouraged today by Paul's example be encouraged today by the example of someone's life who has changed from what it used to be. Because you know what? Your past is nothing like who you are today. You have hopefully been changed on the inside. In fact, God would want to take your life and to redeem it, 
that he might use you as a witness to proclaim the change that he's done in you. Because that's what he did in Paul, and that's the type of business that God is in. He takes the brokenness and he makes it whole. He takes the sinner and he uses them now as redeemed to a lost world. And so Paul continues to tell of the time when he, he was saved. He says, that was my past, but then everything changed. And we're going to see in point number two, to be grounded in our witness means, let me tell you who I now am. Let me tell you who I am in Christ. Verses 12 through 23, we're going to see this. You can kind of track with me as we go along here, but as we begin these verses in this section, Paul is recounting the time, Acts chapter 9, he's, re, he's recall, recalling that time when on the road to Damascus to lock up more Christians who are believing in this Jesus. He says, I was traveling down this road and this blinding light appeared in the sky. Those who were traveling with me, we all fell down to the ground and I heard in a Hebrew voice, he says in these verses. He's, again, he's testifying to the fact that I'm, I'm a Jew. And he says, and that voice spoke to me. And I realized that the voice that was speaking to me was the risen Jesus. It was the very Jesus that the Jews had crucified and that the Jews had testified that they had seen him after he came back to life after three days. And Paul says, this is so important to recognize because the dead Jesus was now alive and the alive Jesus spoke to him and changed his life. And that's why in verse 8, Paul says, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises from the dead? He's saying to them, I, for one, am a firsthand witness. I've experienced the life change of the resurrected Jesus. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus was so incredibly important for Paul. In fact, I want to take a moment and maybe clarify why this was getting him into trouble. Why he was proclaiming a Christ that had been crucified and then a Christ who had been resurrected and why people were struggling to believe in this. Let me start by saying this about the resurrection of Jesus, the, the doctrine of the resurrection. Believing that Jesus died and rose again is one of the most distinguishing factors of Christianity to our broken world. In fact, I would even love you enough to say to you today that if you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you have missed the entire gospel. So think in your life, if there's anyone who's telling you that the resurrection of Jesus is not important or can't be trusted or it didn't happen. Because if you read a book or you watch a movie or a podcast or, or maybe you're sitting under someone's teaching and they're telling you any one of those things, I would just say to you, throw that book out, burn it, unsubscribe, just get rid of all of those things in your life that are telling you that it's not important because as Paul was saying, the resurrection of Jesus is the thing that will change your life because a resurrected Jesus means that God is now in the works again of restoring and healing and Jesus is leading the way for any who would call on his name to be saved. And so in verses 6 and 7, looking back, Paul says, Here, here's what I want you to know about the resurrection. It's extremely important, but it's not something that I've made up. Jesus come back, 
to life again, and the fact that He will return one day is so important for every follower of Jesus that, that I want you to know it's not something that I've had a divine revelation between me and God alone, and God told me, and only me this, like many of our false teachers in our world today. He's saying this was something prophesied long ago. Again, as a Pharisee, he knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand. He says the Old Testament is filled with reference to a coming Messiah. How God would send a Savior to the world to come, to die for sins, to come back to life again. A new heavens and a new earth. Paul says this is not something unexpected. Look into your Bible and see all of the reference. And so Paul was preaching about this risen Christ. Saying it had happened, he had changed him. And Paul says that believing in a resurrected Jesus makes all the difference in the world in your witness. Because not only did Paul preach about Jesus suffering and dying for the sins of the world, but then he began to tell people, he's the living hope for the world. For there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. And everything is made possible in Jesus You know, as Paul was preaching this message, the problem was that the Pharisees, they didn't believe Jesus was the one that would save. Other religious leaders, the Sadducees, they didn't believe the resurrection was possible or would happen. They didn't think it was important. And so Paul is telling King Agrippa, that's why I'm here. Because the world around me, as broken as it is, they are looking and hearing my message, my testimony to them, and they don't like what I have to say. But Paul is so grounded, he keeps pressing on. He keeps proclaiming a Christ crucified and risen. In fact, this was so important to him. In in 1 Corinthians 15, I want to read this famous passage. We can put it on the screens. Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified testified about a God that he raised, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. See, church, we cannot long for a day when God will restore all things and we will get to spend a forever eternity with our Savior. We cannot have those things without believing in the resurrection of Jesus. Because the resurrection of Jesus makes everything possible. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus changes the way we live our lives. It changes the way that we grieve. When your friend or your family member is in their last days and you're sitting by their bedside and you feel the temperature leaving their hands as you say your last goodbyes, when you believe this, You recognize that for followers of Jesus, even in that moment, this world is not our home. And we believe and we hold on to doctrines like this, just like Paul did, and we say, this changes the way we say our goodbyes. 
We say things like, you get to be now with your Savior. And your life now begins. For to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And therefore, we do not grieve as though we have no hope. Because our hope is yet to come. And so in this belief, Paul had come to know this life change in him this incredible truth by believing it and how it transformed him and gave him a purpose and a future. In fact, he was so grounded in this truth that he begins to talk about, here's how it happened and here's how I changed. I want to read that with you in verses 14 through 16. In verse 14, it says, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, his name changes to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Jesus was saying, Paul, why are you resisting the will and the direction of God in your life? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Stop there for a moment. So I want you to see what Jesus does in Paul's life in the moment when he gets changed and saved. Two things I'll show you on the screen. Number one, Saul's conversion in this moment. Jesus is saying, Paul, I am appointing you to be my servant. And that's going to require obedience from you. Secondly, Jesus says to him there, Paul, I am appointing you to go and to be my witness and to testify about what has happened in your life. So let's unpack those two things. Jesus appoints Paul to be his servant. Jesus says, Paul, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a witness for me in your life, you're going to need to remember that I need your allegiance, that a follower of Christ obeys like a servant their master. And it's no longer you who live because you live for your heavenly father. In fact, this would become Paul's entire message throughout all of the letters in the New Testament. Like he writes in Galatians, Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me. This is how Paul would begin his letters in the New Testament. He'd write, I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed, chosen, a servant. He'd say things like, I'm called to go and to say this. And the reality is is that when you and I give our lives to Jesus Christ, we no longer live for ourselves either. Because a witness for Christ does not live for their fame or fortune or their followers, but a witness for Christ is firmly grounded in their faith in their heavenly Father. That's why this doctrine is so beautiful. When God steps in and changes your life, this is why it's so beautiful, because no matter what past you have lived, No matter what you think your story is like in your upbringing, that's not who you are anymore. Because you have found Christ and your life is changing more and more into Christ's image. The second thing that Jesus speaks into Paul's life in this moment when he's saved, he appoints him to be his witness. What's happening here in Paul's life is is Jesus is saying, Paul, I want to take your past I'm giving you a new present reality. You're going to be my witness. You're going to be a child of the living God. 
and I'm going to repurpose or redirect you in your life with a new purpose to go and to witness or to testify to the world. In verse 17, Jesus tells him, this is what you're going to do. A witness for Christ is delivered from your former people, your, your past life. A witness for Christ is delivered from their former way of life, and a witness for Christ is sent to witness to the world that they have met Jesus. And that's why a witness for Christ can be grounded. Because as Paul says, I've been changed. So what does a witness for Christ witness about? Maybe some of you are feeling that stirring within you today of thinking, Lord, I want that too. I want you to use me. I want you to send me. I want to be able to testify and be grounded in who you in your words say that I am in Christ. How do I do that? Let's look at verse 18. We find out what a witness for Christ is supposed to talk about. Jesus says, I'm sending you, Paul, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So I'll show you on the screen the four things that we just read in that verse. A witness for Christ is someone who helps people see the world differently. A witness for Christ is not someone who says, your life's now going to be easy. You're going to be rich. Things will go well for you. You'll never get sick. A witness for Christ says, number one, turn from darkness to light. Number two, realize you need to be transferred from the power of Satan to the power of God in his kingdom. A witness for Christ helps people see the world differently so they receive the forgiveness of sins for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For if we are confessed with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, God will save them. Number four, a witness helps people have a home in God's family in the future. Do you know that when you put your faith in Jesus, you're welcomed into God's family? That you become a child of this living God? And so in these verses, in this moment in Paul's life, that's literally where some Christians have built this, this moment of, of what maybe you've heard before called the road to Damascus moment in your life. Maybe someone's asked you that before. What's your road to Damascus moment? It can be a helpful thing for us to think about, thinking about when our life began to change. But let me say to you this. What happens if you didn't have a blinding light from heaven up here? What happens if you didn't go blind for three days before someone healed you? What if you didn't hear an audible voice from heaven? Can you still be a witness for Christ? I want to start by answering that question by saying this. A witness for Christ is not defined by the moments of their salvation testimony, but by the fact that they now proclaim that they are saved in Jesus and that they are changing more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And they prove that through the repentance of sins and genuine godly acts or works that say, see, my life is changing my love is changing. My affections are changing. And that's why I live like this. I remember in my life um, as a teenager, struggling with passages like this. 
I remember wondering and asking myself, maybe feeling slightly convicted, wondering if my life was different, if, if maybe I made different choices, more rebellious choices, poor choices, then, then my story would have been a little bit more exciting. Because as I've gone through trials in life and, and suffering in certain ways, maybe self-induced, then I would say, well, now I have an interesting, interesting testimony story to tell the world. Because I have those road to Damascus moments. And I remember feeling ungrounded and even uncompelled to want to ever share my faith. Because I thought it was boring. Because I thought I didn't have anything to say. Because I believe in the lie that the stories with the dramatic life experiences, those were the only ones that the world needed to hear. It took me a long time to come to that place to believe with conviction and to look within the word of God as how God saves people. And to say, no, your witness to the world is not defined by those dramatic life experiences. But it's by the fact that God has saved you and changed you and we have all been called out of sin and to see and revel in the marvelous light of Jesus. Because young people and students, if you're listening today, if you're watching from home, I want you to believe me when I tell you this. Your parents are not praying for you to have an exciting testimony story. In fact, we are praying the opposite for you. That in many ways, your life would be uneventful. It would be lavished with the grace of God over you in your life where God would be preventing you from harm and suffering and trial. That your story would be grounded not in what we would say are worldly moments, but is grounded in the fact that you met and found Jesus. And that the life you are now living is different by the past you used to live because it's marked by who now Christ says you are. In verse 19, Paul moves on and begins to share of how his life changed. He says, when I met Jesus, when he sent me now to testify, I want you to know, King Agrippa, I've been faithful to that calling, and that's all I've been doing. In verse 19, Paul describes how he's been doing this, and and he's been grounded in the fact that who he was has been changed. He's different now, and he's been set on a trajectory to witness to the world because Jesus, his Savior, has incredibly changed his life. I want to read a few verses with you. Let's continue our passage, verse 19 and 20. Paul says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, this is what he says, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. You know, isn't it? Interesting in that moment of Paul's life, being in prison for two years, awaiting a, 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 his trial as different people have been asked to come in and hear him out, Paul would have felt discouraged many times. 
on missionary journeys, and then he was put in prison and stuck. And yet in this part of the story, we are, we are confronted with a Paul who says, I'm going to take any moment and chance I get, any circumstance that God gives me, I'm going to be a faithful witness to proclaim that I have found Jesus. And that's what Paul's doing to King Agrippa in this part of the story. And might I ask you today, what circumstance does God have you in in your life where he's waiting for you to be a witness for him? I would encourage you not to waste that circumstance, not to waste that trial, not to waste that diagnosis, not to waste that COVID God may be wanting to work through you as he was working through Paul. In this last section in chapter 26, we see Paul's fire burning within him. We see his intentions to proclaim about this Christ. And so we're going to see point number three in verses 24 through 32. Knowing who he was, knowing who he now is, says, I need to tell you about this Jesus. And being grounded as a witness says, let me tell you Who changed my life? Because when you are grounded enough in your life to recognize who you used to be and to have maybe people speaking in your life how your life has been changing, you are now being used by God to proclaim his glory with full confidence in who Christ says you are. And so when we experience life change, when we really dwell on the fact that Jesus died for our sins and he came back to life, that he took our place, that we have hope and a future with him. Lord willing, it's compelling you, it's stirring within you a love and a desire to say, I need to love my friends and my family and my neighbors like this. Lord, help me do this. Help me become more and more grounded in who Christ says I am. Jesus told his apostles in Acts chapter 1, that you are to go and to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you and I have that exact same commission on our lives, except we haven't seen the actual risen Christ. But maybe you're here today or you're watching today and you know that you have been changed by that Christ. Then Jesus would say to you and I, I expect you to go. And I expect you to pray for opportunities to witness and to be faithful in this broken world. Because as we tell of this life change, God uses us as firsthand witnesses to our friends and family that we have found hope. So maybe today you are thinking, how do I do this? How do I become grounded in the story that I tell? Or maybe today you're thinking, I just don't know if I can ever share that part of my life. I don't know how God could redeem that moment or experience in my life. You know, when people at our church want to get baptized, we have leaders that sit down with them and they help them prepare a testimony that they're going to proclaim through their baptism to their church family. And we ask them three questions. I want to show you on the screen. They're really quite simple. But question number one is, What was your life like before Christ? Question number two, how did you come to know Jesus Christ? 
And question number three, how is your life different now that you know Jesus Christ? Because you know the answer to those three questions is your life story. It's what you've gone through. It's when you met Christ and how your life has changed. And then here's the change that's going on in my life. Here's the things that I don't do or things that I love to do. It's those things where people say, I I just see so much of a hunger for God's word in your life now. Your, Your love to pray has grown. Your desire to witness and proclaim to this lost world is is incredible. I've just seen God do such a work in you. The fruits of the Spirit are so ever-present in your life. That's what Paul's doing in Acts 26. He's answering these three questions. Here's what my life was. Here's who I now am. And you got to know this, Jesus. I want to read these last verses in our chapter to help us see how Paul does this in such a grounded way, in a way where he's effectively crafted, here's my story. I'd encourage you too, if you can find a way to answer those three questions, that you will be ready to be used by God as a grounded witness, to be able to say, well, here's what my life was like. And then someone introduced me to Jesus, and I realized that God wanted to use my life, and I gave it to him, and here's how my life has changed You can be exactly like Paul in proclaiming to the world in a grounded way, here's what God has done in me. In verses 27 and 28, Paul says to King Agrippa, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I always wonder how he says this next part. I know that you believe. I think he's suspicious. Verse 28, and Agrippa said to Paul, in such a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? It's interesting in this moment to see how the the tables have turned. Paul's the one on trial. Remember that image earlier? Paul's the one on trial. He's being interrogated. He's being asked to defend all the claims against him. And yet in this moment, in these verses, it's King Agrippa who feels like Paul is the one trying to convert him to Christianity. And look what happens in verse 29. Paul responds to the king. And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul says, I don't want you to be locked as a prisoner, but I do want you to know the freedom found in Christ. I want you to have your eyes opened. King Agrippa, I want you to turn from darkness to light. I want you to go from the power of Satan to God. I want you to experience the forgiveness of your sins. I want you to become part of God's family, to have a hope and a future after this life. Might I ask you, do you want that today too? Because if you put your faith in Jesus and if you say, God, save me, God, use me, God, ground me in this life, You watch how God will slowly begin to change your life and God will use you for his glory. And if you know Jesus and you know what he has saved you from, might I encourage you today to be grounded in the truth that you are now a child of the living God. That is your present reality. 
And maybe you would pray and say, God, use me to tell other people and to invite them that they might become children of the living God. You know, as followers of Jesus, we have the incredible joy to be able to regularly remember just in part what Jesus has saved us from. As the body of Christ, the church of Christ, we're called to to regularly remember how God saved us by dying on a cross for us, by coming back to life again three days later for us, by remembering how his body was broken and his blood was shed as a sacrifice that God required for our sin. Today, as we reflect and as we prepare to celebrate communion together, I want you to think about this fact. Jesus was perfect. And if Jesus was perfect, he didn't deserve to die. But the reason why we remember in the Lord's Supper is because an incredibly gracious and merciful and loving God said, I will go forward for them and I will hang on a cross and be crucified that through my undeserving sacrifice, they could place their hope and faith in Jesus and be saved of their sin. Because as the Bible tells us, is that anyone who puts their faith and belief in that Jesus and calls on the name of the Lord, they are saved. It's not by works, but it's by faith. And so it's that act of love that we pause today and we're going to stop and remember that Jesus stepped in for us.